See everyone this morning. I, it's always good for us to, to assemble, to uh, worship the Lord together. I'd been thinking about subjects to preach, and I thought what I'd do for the next few times I'm up here uh, is is talk about what we do on Sunday morning while we're here. And I thought I would begin this morning with just talking about preaching and uh, carry on for the the next whatever it's going to be the next time. Um, So I just want us to look at some things. It's it's not hard. It's not complicated or anything. I have in in the the Old Testament preaching and preachers or preaching and preach is mentioned a number of times, and I'm not going to go over the definitions. You basically, you know what preaching is. Uh, But I think we get an idea of looking at what the scriptures say. Uh, about what preaching is was in the Old Testament. The Spirit in Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. We recognize that in the New Testament, where Jesus is in Luke uh, chapter 4, where he is gone to Nazareth and he goes into the synagogue and they hand him a scroll and it's open to Isaiah and this is what he reads. And when he sits down, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled, whatever, I've gone blank on exactly how he states it. But to preach good tidings to the poor and heal the broken heart, proclaim liberty to the captives. That's what... uh, the idea was under the old law to, to teach. In Ezekiel chapter 20, in verse 46, Son of man, set your face toward the south, preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land, the south. So he was to go and preach against something. He's telling somebody what's wrong. Again, what they did in the old, under the old law. And, um, and they also prophesied to ooze out with information. And in Jonah, chapter 3, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So the message that should be preached is what God has to say. Um, And you know how Jonah, badly he wanted to go, don't you? Not. Um, He didn't want the Assyrians to be saved. But the job of the preacher is to preach what God told him to preach. Under the New Testament, it's mentioned many more times. And again, I'm not going to go over all those definitions. But we'll see through these scriptures, you'll get the idea. In Acts chapter 3, verse 20, taking up in the middle of a thought, and that he, he may send Jesus who was preached to you before. That they're referencing back to uh, to John who had preached Jesus before he came, before he started uh, preaching himself, Jesus. And so it was preaching before the event. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 2, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They taught and preached 
Jesus, the resurrection. So you're proclaiming, um, declaring or showing who Jesus is. Um, in Acts chapter 8, verse 25, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the saints. Again, uh, like a, a town crier or a public crier that, that had a message that is, was so important that they just had to tell others about him. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What are they going to preach? Repentance and remission of sins. And it would begin in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Again, a relentless job of teaching. Persistent teaching about who Jesus is. He is the Christ. Daily they did this. In Luke chapter 9, verse 16, Jesus said to them, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go, you go and preach the kingdom of God. You preach what will get us to heaven, what the goal is to preach the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to Saul. Saul took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So the preaching should be with boldness. And last in Romans 15, verse 19, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Lord, uh, Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, that all of it is to be preached, fully preached. And that's all facets of it. That's what preaching uh, is supposed to be doing. I had an uncle who preached for, I don't know how many years, 55 plus and I was talking to my cousin in Lufkin, Texas the other day, and we were just talking, and uh, I told him I was looking at a PowerPoint, working on a PowerPoint. He said, what are you preaching on? I said, preaching on preaching. He said, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of, preach, uh, the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's the last part of that verse anyway. And that was something his dad, my uncle, uh, I heard him read I don't know how many times. But it wasn't about him. It's not about the preacher. It is about preaching the gospel of peace. Preaching the glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet of those who are willing to do that. To preach Again, what we need to hear in all of it. In 2 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I understand that he's talking, he wrote this letter to a, a young preacher. 
and it may not be addressed to me. But this is what a preacher should do. He should be uh, preach, and what's he going to preach? He's going to preach the word. That's the design to preach the word, whether the audience is receptive or whether it isn't receptive. If they don't like the message, it's not your responsibility to water it down so they will like it. It's the responsibility to teach it. And if the audience doesn't like it, you've got more convincing to do. And if you convince, you, you, what you do is you tell the fault or rebuke in a way. And, and to rebuke, these words are closely associated, to express strong disapproval of someone. To warn. And you urge and implore and encourage and comfort. And you do it with patience. Be long-suffering. And I often think of I think of Paul. We have such an example in Paul of all the things that he did. And I get a, uh, I think about him. In all that he suffered, in all the problems that he faced, he was long-suffering with. Okay. Um, then I know Mark Lewis likes these scriptures right here, but Nehemiah 8, verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book of, of God, uh, from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. They read it distinctly. They made the message clear. And they gave the sense. They helped with their understanding of, of what God had wanted in the law of Moses. And again, the preacher ought to know what he's talking about. He ought to have a grasp on Scripture to be able to teach. In Acts 17, verses 2 and 3, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So Paul goes to Thessalonica, and the reception started out pretty good. Then he was driven away. But for as his custom was, he went uh, it, for three Sabbaths. He went into the synagogue, I guess. I can't remember exactly. I think it was. And went and reasoned with them from, from the Scripture, <coughs> explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer. He's, going, he's talking to them about this Jesus. He's, con- he's convincing them this Jesus whom I preach to you is, he's the one that was been anticipated. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. But he didn't fit the paradigm of what everybody thought because explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. So he had to suffer and he had to die and he had to, ri- to ra- be raised again. And that's what he preached to them. So that, again, is part of what preaching is, to tell all the story. In Acts chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. 
there was a reason that these people scattered. They didn't want to suffer persecution. Here's Saul. He's made havoc of the church. He is tearing apart the church uh, and trying to shut it down. And just imagine entering people's houses, dragging them off, putting them in prison, and the people are scattered. But they didn't leave the Lord back wherever they were. They didn't leave them in Damascus or Jerusalem. What did they do? Then those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. What an amazing thing, isn't it? That as hard as this was on the church, it was the best thing that ever happened to spread the gospel everywhere because people started talking then and telling others about what Jesus can do. In Titus 1 verse 3, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. He manifested his word. He made his word known through preaching. It was designed to reach people with God's message. And I think it's interesting that in the United States, where we live, Every house practically has a Bible. Very few of them are read. They just won't do it. Most folks. We do. I'm sure we do. Uh, have confidence in us. You can't say that about everybody in Columbus or in the state of Mississippi or the United States or the world, actually. But you can reach people if they'll listen to you through the preaching that the word was committed to Paul according to the commandment of God. In 2 Timothy 2.14 again in the middle of a thought to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That That when the gospel is preached people will understand what's preached And understand that God has called us by the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's the purpose then of the preaching? It's that so that we may lay hold of or obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus. That we can participate in that glory that God, that Jesus has. That's our goal is to be with him and being out of this body, but changed into a glorious body, one that abides forever. So it's the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ to reach that goal so that we can lay hold on that as well. In Second Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All of you can quote that. I know that. Every one of us know what it means. 
The doctrine is the teaching. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for education, for reproof, for an expression of strong disapproval, for correction, a restoration to an upright state, instruction in righteousness, and instruction in responsible living. That's what the message of the gospel is, and that's what preachers should be able to do. It's given by the inspiration of God. I think uh, the English Standard Version says it's breathed out by God. That's the thought. And I think of, of preaching, and I think of this man, Noah, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, and it says, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Old Noah, we're going to look at another slide in him, about him, but he is one of the eight people who were saved. One of eight. Eight out of all of mankind. Only eight. No matter how many, it shows that the wicked would be punished. No matter how many there are, and there are many, and the righteous would be saved, even though it's just a few. That's what that verse tells us. Did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. In Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of uh, the righteousness which is according to faith. This is blurry over here from this side. Is it up? Can, is it blurry to y'all? It's okay. So here again is Noah. And he is warned, divinely warned, warned by God. And he moved with godly fear. He's warned about things that have never been seen, maybe, potentially. We don't know if it ever flooded before. There's some indication in Scripture that it, God watered the earth from, the, from, from below. And so it may not have rained before. And so God warned him, and Noah moved with godly fear. And here he is building this ark for about 120 years and probably ridiculed, made fun of, what are you doing, Noah, with this monstrosity that you're building? And so he's preaching. He's telling them, God's going to, he's going, the floods are going to reach over this hill. They're going to get over the tallest mountains. And you, you can be sure they laughed at him, made fun of him, ridiculed him. But he kept on working, kept on building. He was a preacher of righteousness, telling them that God's going to bring judgment. And only eight out of all mankind were saved. This uh, building, this ark, condemned the world because others wouldn't listen to it, wouldn't follow it. 
Romans 10, verses 13 and 14. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? He asked some good questions. How will men believe without the gospel being preached? We have already mentioned that everybody's got a Bible, but most don't read it. It boggles the mind if you think about it. You hear people talking, everybody's going to heaven. How are you going to know if you don't investigate? You won't make it. How will men know about God unless he's preached? I mean, it just makes sense. We will not know about the Lord without men standing up and preaching because people are not going to study for themselves. We will. The world won't. How will men call on the name of the Lord and be saved if they don't know to do so? God's just going to save them. It just ain't going to happen. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We understand this is what's called the Great Commission. He's telling the twelve you go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you. What if they didn't tell all the message? Let's just leave that out. Now, what if we just add this? What does that do to the gospel? We know it's God's power, just like it is. The idea in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, under the old law, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. We understand that that's, also stated uh, in the New Testament. You observe all things. Don't leave anything out. Don't add to it. You make it, you tell just what the apostles taught, just what scripture tells us to teach. That's what you do. You don't leave out. You don't add to. Now, in Mark 16, verse 15, 16, Mark's version of the Great Commission was, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Same thing from Matthew. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Slightly different message, but it's the same message. Like, use this the number of times Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels that tell us about Jesus. If you saw a car wreck, 
four different people saw it, they would have a slightly different version from their angle. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each having a slightly different uh, word structure on what Jesus said. You make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Oops, I'm at the wrong spot. Um, who, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. They certainly wouldn't be baptized. In Luke 24, verses 46 through 49, again, Luke's version, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so they waited in Jerusalem. And then few days later the spirit comes upon them the Holy Spirit is given to them and then that's when they begin their preaching in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 15 it says and he gave and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Originally, there were apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those apostles are gone. Those prophets are gone. There are today evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. The evangelist, the preacher, his function is to preach, to teach. The pastor is the elder, are the elders, the overseers of the flock and teachers. Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody's a preacher. Very few are pastors or elders by design. But the purpose for them, for them is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith. So this is a full-time job. This is somebody, something that needs to be done by somebody all the time. Till we reach that statue of a perfect man. Uh, till we reach the perfect man. We should no longer be children, but a man. No longer be children, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And not just anything goes. There are false doctrines out there. The New Testament is full of, the, the, the epistles are full of the mention of false teachers and what they taught, some of the things they taught. 
So we're not to be tossed about, carried about with, with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plot. We're, we're, just, tell them, just talk about the gospel. And that we may grow up in all things, no longer children, to perfect man. We grow up in all things. And that's what the elders and the preachers and the teachers are to do. To make sure the saints are equipped. We looked at this verse number two earlier, Second Timothy four, verses two through four. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We talked about convince, rebuke, exhort, uh, with all long-suffering a little bit a few minutes ago. But the idea is men won't endure sound doctrine. They just, they want something else that pleases their ears that sounds good to them. And so they try to find those teachers that will teach those things that they just like to hear, that makes them comfortable. And the gospel will do anything but make you comfortable. It will set mother against father, husband against wife, children against their parents, parents against children. Because it's, it tells us where we're wrong. It will also tell us how to get right. So we need to preach the word. We need to be always ready. Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The responsibility of the preacher is to faithfully present the message that brings life. Message that brings life is the whole counsel of God. Every nook and cranny, every plan, purpose, and intention of the gospel. Nothing is to be left out. We would not be complete if something is left out. I'm aware that those verses, he's in the, in the company of the elders from Ephesus. And this next slide is too. Acts 20, verses 29 and 30. He's talking to the elders at Ephesus. He says, I know after my, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And it's the, the elder's responsibility to see that that doesn't happen. You think the preacher might have some responsibility in that too, to tell everything so that the flock can be spared. And twisted things are not taught. And disciples won't be drawn away from the hope that is in the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, 
we're going to read verse 30 to the end of the chapter. So Philip, the Holy Spirit has told him to go down to the Gaza from the road from Jerusalem to Gaza and just go. So Philip saw, he sees a man in a chariot and he runs up to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand unless someone, uh, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And he who, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the same scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that, he, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he, the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found as at, at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip started where this man was reading, and he preached Jesus to him. We understand, he's, we know he's reading from Isaiah 53 from what was read. <clears throat> so Philip started there and it's amazing that during this process of teaching him and preaching him, preaching to him, uh, this man understands, see here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? So when you preach Jesus to him, you preach baptism. Because that's what Jesus said. And repentance. And confession. And so, you can do that. You, you can be baptized if you believe. He said, I, if you believe with all your heart. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded him to stand still. And they went down in the water. Philip baptized him. They both went their different ways. Philip leaves and he's preaching. This is one reason we come. We preach on Sunday morning, is for the, for the truth to come out about the gospel of Christ. In Acts chapter twenty, verse seven. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. That's why we preach on Sunday morning. We have an example of an apostle of Jesus Christ preaching on the first day of the week when they came together to break bread. That's what we did. We just talked about Acts 8, 
where a man was baptized because of the gospel being preached to him. If you need that to be done for you, you submit to baptism. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?